I'm going to put you in there. And uh, rolling. <clears throat> Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, episode 36, about those voices in your head. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio and welcome back if you're a loyal listener. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? Uh, really well. How are you? I'm doing well. Nice. Uh, and uh, for those of you who are long-time listeners, you may notice a little bit of a difference in our voice. Where are we today, Michael? In my living room. In your Chinese palace, I'd say. Well, it's kind of a Chinese palace, but um, a friend of mine built it. It's like post a meme, straw bale, really quiet, really zen. Uh, a little fancy, but uh, yeah, we're looking out at the Chinese courtyard through the big windows yeah. with the Chinese gate and the impossible to open gate, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Zen master gate. The uh, grasshopper, if you can grab this pebble from my hand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those gates, but that's that's Chinese architecture, you know. Yeah, and have some fun with it. Gonna yeah, go all the way. Absolutely. Uh, so Michael and I decided to try something a little different. We were intending to uh, add some video to the podcast. And when I got here and realized that I'd forgotten all that equipment, we decided to just do a regular old podcast anyways. So uh, we're sitting down here with a couple of cups of tea and some microphones. And and the video should be coming soon because I think that would be fun. We could be like Joe Rogan or somebody cool. Always yeah. wanted to be cool. Yeah, well, I, I think it'll just uh, add a different perspective to um, uh, learning. Uh, certainly uh, listening to a podcast is one thing, but uh, some people just need to hear us talk, I would think. Yeah, and I think if we get into some geek out stuff, which I have a feeling will inevitably happen, we could actually use the video to show people charts and graphs and molecules or funny pictures of orangutans to keep them interested in what we're talking about. <laughs> That's right, and check our Facebook status while nobody's looking. <laughs> um, cool. That all sounds like, uh, well, I guess, Fusion Health Radio 2.0? Yeah, seems to be. Yeah, we're, we're heading in that direction. That's kind of fun. Uh, episode 36, uh, we're here talking about those voices in your head. Yeah, you know, there's those voices in your head. <laughs> and uh, as Michael and I normally sit down, uh, sometimes I'm prepared, sometimes I'm not. This is one of those classic times when I'm not. And um, I have an idea about what we're talking about, but really none. So, Michael, let us know. What are we talking about today? So what we're really going to be talking about in the bigger picture of this little conversation uh, is a practice called voice dialoguing. But I think before getting into the practice and its history and kind of the mechanics of how it works, uh, I, I think it just seems that we should have a little jam session on what it's like to be a human being in the 21st century with the kind of internal dialogue uh, habits and structure that most of us just default have. Okay, so that sounds like it's a little bit more complicated than some people may understand, myself included. Um, so you talk to yourself in your head? Uh, no, I usually talk out loud. Inside your head? Uh, well, the inside voice comes out. Oh, okay. So you, you have no internal dialogue? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, okay. that's what I mean by talk to yourself <laughs> in your head. Well, I don't mean like you sit there and say, Anthony, are you a good boy or a bad boy? I'm saying like you're going to sit there and go, where did I put the honey and I can't find my wallet? And uh, Okay. So okay. We, we all have a running, you know voice voice in, in our head and it's, it's usually rehearsing conversations or trying to um convince ourselves of something about ourselves or about someone else you know 
little cheerleader, little devil, little angel, you know, it kind of depends on, you know, those cartoons with a devil on one and the angel on the other shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happens if there's a few dozen of those kind of people and there's a microphone they pass around and randomly take over your mind? Got it. So, um, the word that I know, uh, now that I'm clear on what it is you actually want to talk about today, thank you, uh, <laughs> is uh, chattering monkeys. Chattering monkeys, good, good way to put it. Yeah, it's like they're the they're the idiots inside the brain that actually latches onto an idea for me and takes me into um, all kinds of small places or uh, unhealthy places, um, and <laughs> I don't really think they have my best interest at heart. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's been my experience that, um, although I would definitely be happy to go, yeah, it's all those talking monkeys. Uh, it's more interesting in the sense of voice dialoguing as a practice to, I guess, reassociate that to the jungle in your head because monkeys are great, but they only have a certain kind of instinctual mode of, you know, how the world works and how to be a healthier, happier monkey who gets more food or gets laid more or you know, gets the microphone more to talk to the rest of the monkeys. But um, with the idea of voice dialoguing, it's to try and give different voices that seem to be present in your mind a lot. Um, if we're going to use animals, which I think is a really good start, uh, to try and find an appropriate animal for that kind of mood, that kind of voice, that kind of thing. And for people who are kind of piqued by the idea, like, oh, I wonder what that means. Does that make me crazy or to be giving these parts of me names in your head? Well, honestly, that depends on who you talk to. <laughs> but if you are kind of feeling inspired to get into that a bit, be playful, be creative. I mean, I make up my own kind of on the fly sometimes to handle a particularly uh, strong kind of a sentimental momentum. You know, my mind is like, ah, I'm really upset about this or I'm really inspired about this. And it just keeps going back to some default track of thinking. So, okay, I'm, a famili I'm familiar with that voice, so I know its name and we have a chat. And usually it goes away and feels good about itself. Uh, if it's a new voice that I'm not sure about, then I try and be intuitive with, you know, kind of what kind of critter it would be and what to call it and what we're talking about. But that's that's the practice is, yeah, well, we all have many voices in our head. Um, like podcasting, each of them gets a microphone and all of them want the microphone all the time. But uh, there's, there's really only, hopefully hopefully only one voice at a time in your head yeah, well i was gonna say unlike podcasting they don't know how to hold their tongue until somebody else has finished talking right uh well i mean it depends on the voice i mean it's like split personalities in a way some of them can get pretty overt some of them are only going to show up when you know you're in a particular kind of boredom or something okay so so hang on a second let me let me just uh stop you there so that i can sort of make sense of this in in, in my head here um if i understand you right you're saying that it's possible to um I guess, associate a different personality with a different voice in my head that pops up at different times in my life. Mm. So the voice that pops up when I'm in traffic and I'm late and uh, that voice would be different than the voice that pops up in my head when I'm, um, say, trying to uh, do something technical and I'm swearing at my computer. Well, one would hope uh, in a sense, but it depends on really the voice that um, and this is where this is going to get a bit fractalicious and weird, but there's voices in our heads that are driven by natural instinct. You know, obviously when you're in a car stuck in traffic, you know, I'm not saying impatience is an actual instinct, but the instinct that takes impatience as a threat to solving survival problems takes impatience as a signal that it's a survival situation. So there you are dealing with one of the survival instinct voices in your head that may have been co-opted by the most impatient person you know. 
Hmm. And so would it be that impatient person's voice that I would actually hear? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. So I'll get into the, the detail of this as we go. And, um, you know, if this is going to be hard to follow for the listeners, it's because we aren't prepared to do this in some logical way. Cause I can't think of how to do this kind of a conversation in that way without it sounding like a seminar. This would just be like another voice in your head. So these are <laughs> Ooh, nicely done. So if you're, you're kind of trying to grab onto this, like a ladder step-by-step, step, uh, hang on. Cause it's going to go in a few dimensions, but so I'm just going to use the word Larry because Larry is what I would describe as my lizard brain, Larry, the lizard. It's easy to remember. And Larry's job is all about survival stuff, which we can get back to in a, in a modern context in a few minutes. But if you're in a traffic situation and you're feeling impatient and for whatever reason, you've taken that seriously enough for Larry to wake up and say, Hey, oh my God, if we don't crash through this guy's back bumper in the next two seconds, the world's going to burn or, you know, whatever Larry thinks is going to happen, or I'm not going to get that, you know, money or that date or whatever you're worried about. So we all have to have Larry or else you're not going to function in the world. But what if you're Larry and we all have Larry turns out to be your dad's Larry that you've learned that uh, in traffic, that's how Larry talks. Hmm. So here you are feeling impatient enough for your brain to go, Oh crap, consequences, consequences, survival. And because it's a traffic thing, again, you may find your instinctual internal dialogue co-opted by somebody else who had a pretty easy to remember one or a really emotionally uncomfortable one. Um, I don't know if this directly relates, um, feel free to not go far with it if it doesn't. Is that kind of like saying, oh my God, I just sound like, I sound just like my mother, my dad, my, my whomever it is? That's the point. Huh. So as we get into this as a technology, we all have the same instincts. We all, as Westerners, have grown up in the same culture with more or less the same conditioning around uh, sexual access, around the importance of money, around being physically attractive, about whether or not you live in a weird Chinese palace by accident for a while. Because, yeah, I, I couldn't afford this by myself. Anyway, uh, but, you know, we all have our conditioning. And it's deeply instinctual in some ways. And then it's sort of society's hijack in other ways. But it's so important to really start digging into your, those voices that are truly yours first find out you know why they're so important to you why they take over at the times that they do or recognize that that instinctual voice isn't even your instinctual voice now it's been taken over by that teacher you thought was really cool until they turned out to be a jerk uh, or you know one of your parents that had a really you know easy to remember style around traffic jams or getting the dishes done on time or whatever and uh, that's one of the trickier parts of this and again I'll call it a technology is you have to start with like literally the foundation of the obvious, work your way into, I don't know, cultural kind of things that are again, pretty obvious. And then just keep asking yourself, now, is that really me? Or is that just something I've learned that fits into that part of human instinct and social instinct? And as, as you've resolved that and have these conversations with yourself, with your voices in your head, as crazy as that sounds, and for psychiatrists listening to this right now, you might be going, oh my God, these people are insane. <laughs> just, just, just hold on. You might change your mind. Okay. So, um, again, I'm still trying to, uh, wrestle with this idea, um, yeah. and make it sort of, uh, make sense okay. for me. And I'm sure the, the listeners trying to grasp onto this as well. Um, are you suggesting that it's possible to, um, take inventory? of the uh, different 
personalities or the different voices uh, that I have in different situations? Uh, I think the inventory would be determined by the frame of reference. And I'll give you three quick examples, and then we'll dive into an actual working example we could do as a participatory experience so that you and the listeners can go, oh, of course, oh, so that's that exactly how it looks. Because right now I'm just talking about why it's a practice. Okay. So you're either going to use deep, obvious instincts, which we'll start with in a minute, or you can start with something that's kind of fun and symbolic. And I often use the Chinese zodiac animals because I'm a Chinese doctor. People come into my clinic. I got a box of teddy bears that are the Chinese zodiac that was made for that exact reason. And I use those to tell stories to kids that are having a hard time with their doctor's appointment. But also sometimes I yank out one of the 12 animals of the Chinese Zodiac and give it to people. And we have a, a voice dialoguing session in the middle of a doctor's appointment to help them understand you're actually really, really stuck with this. And if we can get you free of that, then uh, let's move into that more. So that sort of creates a frame of those 12 animals. Myself having an indigenous background, uh, we already have kind of a way of looking at how animal medicine or animal allies move in the world, which gives them a kind of a character or our ally. I don't usually do that because it's kind of co-opting a different culture and it's not familiar to people. So they either take it as a weirdness or they grab onto it like a new age as an opportunity to appropriate another culture and be cool at a party. Hmm. And then there's the one I do the most often with people, and it's usually done as like a weekend workshop because there's a lot to it. Uh, the workshop is usually called uh, Deconstructing the Western Ego, and we use a voice dialing practice that's going to take almost two hours to go through. Um, and you're basically going to go through all the characters you would find in a medieval castle because that mirrors exactly the structure and instinctual kind of social uh, programming of Western people which is a trip. So let's start with something experiential, unless you got a... No, I, I'm, I'm still... Um, I'm getting more and more what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, and, and until you start doing it, it's going to sound like a bunch of what? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think so that's... I, I think we got to dive into something here. People are going to say, what? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we, I mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago because I was wanting to get another voice dialoguing thing a while ago. Um... So you're always going to start with Larry the lizard and Mary the monkey. Okay. Now, if you want your monkey to not be a, a female or you want your lizard to be a female, then give them your own names. And please give them your own names because I don't want you to steal mine. <laughs> or feel free to steal mine because they're free. <laughs> yeah. Larry the lizard, TM. <laughs> Send your check to PO yeah, Box. Right. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh. The world is so weird. So... Obviously, we all have to have the capacity to respond on the fight-or-flight level, uh, as any species would. But now we live in cars and houses and use elevators to get from places to sit down. <laughs> so so you're, you're saying we got it a little soft then, I guess, right? Well, I, I, for some reason, I'm having the picture in my head of this big fancy gym, like weightlifter gym in California that had escalators up and down from the road to the gym. Hmm. So we, we're 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 an interesting species when it comes to <laughs> what we're really up to and you know stuff like that. So yeah. instinctually, you know, we all need to deal with the holy crap stuff, the fight or flight stuff, and uh, that's Larry's job. Now in the modern world, you know, you can't just be an uh, like you know a lizard or an alligator in the sense of, oh, you you stepped on my coattail and you know at the crosswalk so i'm going to take out my 12 inch teeth and chop your head off so <laughs> we, we've got to shift our instincts a little bit in the sense of fight or flight right 
Uh, so nowadays I think of Larry as kind of like a part-time calorie accountant, part-time gas station attendant, you know, person who's got a little clipboard who says, you know, Michael, um, there's no way you're going to get that much done this week and or today or in the next 45 minutes. So I'm going to start screaming at you by punching you in the adrenal glands to make you potentially possibly capable of all the stuff you think you can do. But at the same time, it's going to be super hard to focus and concentrate because you're going to be running on crazy stress survival hormones. And at a certain point of crazy stress survival, survival hormones, you feel lots of focus, but you have no association or real good memory. So, you know, you're in panic, but, you know, after your third, you know, double mochaccino or whatever you drink, <laughs> you might seem really alert, but you're not going to get anywhere because you're bouncing off the inside of your noggin like a ping pong ball. So Larry's got a good intentions. He's got the best of intentions and he thinks you're an idiot because as far as he's concerned, there's five words in the realm of language, eat, sleep poop, fornicate, yawn. I usually use different words, but... Um, we don't have you, the bleep button. <laughs> we don't have the bleep button yet. Someday. Working our way up. And um, anyway, so... So he's, he's got the best of intentions for you, but his, his methods are a little kind of... Um, it makes cavemen look like, you know, Stephen Hawking without the wheelchair yeah i was gonna say knuckle dragon <laughs> rudimentary kind of like because they're geniuses compared to larry but he's he's in charge he's he's got like the back of your brain like the bottom foundation of a pyramid like if you if larry ain't on board everything else is a struggle okay so let's say i'm sitting there and uh as it sometimes maybe more often than not happens that i've over uh estimated what i can get done in a day where my boss has overestimated what I, they think I should do in a day. Family or my relationships, uh, children, spouse, whatever, seems to be convinced that um, I should be doing more or doing what they want me to do with them more or, you know, whatever. So once we hit that wall of uh, adaptability, Larry basically takes his little green scary lizard paw and starts pounding the red button that makes your adrenal glands and your stress physiology and your particular adaptive programming as a personality to the next level. And I'm not sure how it goes in action movies. It's like DEFCON 1 or 4 and it's one goes worse, one goes better. I don't know. I just know the siren gets louder. Yeah, apparently that, and you know, the it goes from yellow to red or whatever. And there's the guy, two minutes and counting. Until <laughs> yeah. anyway. nuclear attack. So, uh, luckily Larry doesn't have the, the football, as they say, or the, <laughs> the button that now Donald Trump has. Oh, my God. Anyway. Now don't ruin this health podcast. I don't want to digress too far with that, but. So again, Larry hits the button and your entire metabolism changes and your mindset changes. And obviously what you're going to do with your internal dialogue changes. And if you're not aware that you're running on, you know, adaptive pressure and instinct and impatience and other things, you're going to actually assume that that's you. You're going to assume that that's you, meaning how you think and talk and react and plan and remember and rehearse and rehash things with language in your head is going to be based on the fact that, you know, biochemically you're basically a lizard, but in terms of your, you know, assumption, presumption, what you're thinking about is what you would normally be thinking about. So you're suggesting that Larry is something that's separate from who you normally are? Well, if Larry takes over the microphone and happens to be a paranoid narcissist, yeah, not so much. Depend less if you're a paranoid narcissist, it's going to fit right in, but... <laughs> And again, so, I'd have to jump on this. Larry thinks you're an idiot. He's got millions of years of survival in his bag. He thinks you're 
even the monkey above him, he's like, you're an idiot. Like, you, we'll get to Mary in a sec, but you have to accept that Larry's been around longer than anybody. So, of course, he's a narcissist. <laughs> he's like, it's all about me. Are you kidding? <laughs> he's like somebody from New York. Larry did is it from New York. Hey, <laughs> let me drive the cab. <laughs> Forget about it. Forget about it. There you go. Podcast is getting a little funnier here. But anyway, that's Larry's job. He's got you through half of you know human evolution. So and, good job, Larry. And, and so you're suggesting that this uh, reactionary thing that Larry is and does is how some people just um, uh, see themselves as being that way. Well, I think it's just a volume of interaction. I mean, if he's the primary voice in your head, then you might actually assume that you are that. And this is the technology of the practices. Uh, it's a kind of psychotherapy, but more on a spiritual meditative level, which is, have you ever actually done any surgery on the talking mind at all? Because if you do, you might realize, oh my God, there's a lizard growing out of the base of my skull and it's a narcissist and it's afraid of everyone and wants to eat, sleep, poop, and fornicate with everything. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, so if you can accept that, this is where the voice dialoguing practice starts. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to I'll ask you if you can use Larry as the name, unless you have a better name for your Larry little. works, sure. Okay. So, Anthony, who am I talking to? Um, me. You're going to answer Larry the Lizard. Okay, Larry the Lizard. So, Larry, uh, how's your life going right now? And, Anthony, if you can actually speak as if you are Larry the Lizard Brain, who has very little respect for anything except for survival. So, Larry, what's your job? Uh, my job is to get this guy from point A to point B. Yeah, and he's got to eat food, right? Sometimes. And there's the thing with the girls, right? Yeah, every now and again. Yeah, every now and again, good. And um, how's that meditation practice going? Meditation? Who's got time for meditation? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> different priorities, right? Um, Getting enough sleep? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Who's got time for sleep? Yeah. I got stuff to do. Yeah. Places to go. It happens. <laughs> it's the first time I've done it with accents because I suck at accents, but I'm glad you can do accents. Anyway, so once you can get into that sort of somatic um, intentional space of like, yeah, if I sit in the urgent, like I want to chew on the world and make it my pet or whatever place that's within you and it's instinctual, you really only have one choice which is, thanks, Larry, you're doing a really good job. Hmm. Uh, if you promise to stop punching me in the adrenals, I'll take half of the stuff I thought I was going to do today and just put it on the later list. Trying to put me out of a job? No, Larry, I just want you to kind of like be chill, you know, have a couple of weeks where you can putter along, get lots of food, you know, food, take a nap, you know, hook up, have some fun. Uh, so if one does this, if one actually has... Uh the capacity to be mindful enough to actually tune into the um, adrenaline-fueled Larry of their brain, um, well, what happens? We'll try it. Thanks, Larry, man. You've got me this far. Holy crap. I so take you, like, for... I take advantage of you. I take you for granted. I'm really going to listen to, you know, what you suggest may or may not be my limits a lot more. And even in that moment, saying that in this conversation for reals, I feel better because I'm like, oh, yeah, I was going to try and do that tonight, but I don't think I will. It's Friday. Hmm. Interesting. And it is a practice, so you have to do it, you know, for a while for it to be less weird. Like I'm talking to invisible alligators and they have, what? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that sound like this guy I heard on a podcast? <laughs> yeah. You can't do the New York accent, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, just try that in, in your own mind, even if you don't want to do it out loud. Just, like, say, well, way to go, like, survival body, you got me this far. Like, but I'll, I'll listen. Yeah, well, I, I think for myself, Larry doesn't show up that often. Okay. So next one is Mary the Monkey. Hmm. So Mary, uh, and this is the, this would be handy for the visuals if we had this on video, but maybe I'll find a picture or something like this or doodle. So imagine that there's a little oasis like pond and Larry lives in the pond slash splashing his tail around every time he gets pissed off and scaring around the rest of the animals in the oasis. Cause he's a big, scary lizard dinosaur. Ah, and there's this lovely tree right by the pond and in the, in the branches of that tree lives Mary the monkey. Now, Mary represents our deepest social survival instincts around bonding, intimacy, trust, and gossip. Big portfolio, I think. Yeah, I mean, she's up there typing all day, every day in her little tree, making harlequin romance stories about the people she thinks are cute, and then going into terrifying adolescent high school drama about who she thinks doesn't like her anymore. Um, she's a profoundly socially... Uh, you could say she has a mild attachment disorder in the sense that anytime there is any sudden change in her um, intuitive sense of bonding and connection with her peers, with her family, with, you know, people she wants to spend time with, if that ain't going well, she's going to start chewing on her particular nails and maybe getting some mange and, you know, maybe even becoming self-isolating because I'm not socially very good at social, so maybe I'll go and sit inside my head and make up reasons why everyone else is bad or hates me or, you know, maybe I'll get those tattoos I've always wanted on my forehead so people really know who I am because I really want people to accept me for who I am. But at the same time, I have no idea who I am because I don't spend that much time around people. But I, ah. And And without that, we wouldn't have survived as a species. So you got to give Mary her props for keeping us connected or else we're dead. Mm -hmm. But I think Mary... um has uh, too much time on her hands. Me too. <laughs> and that typewriter, I don't know. I think there's a hundred monkeys typing sometimes in my head, but. Hmm. And the, uh, um, is the Mary thing as old as Larry? Uh, well, I guess not in the sense of evolutionary time, but it's millions of years. So I think at a certain point, we're just gonna have to go with, yeah, in the house. <laughs> And, and <laughs> one, house. One, one of the crew, <laughs> yo yo yo, <laughs> running the tribe. Really, she has got the microphone most of the time because every social interaction you have that doesn't go comfortably is her trying to come up with a reason how to make sure it goes comfortably again, or blame all those other annoying monkeys who just don't get you. Hmm. I think Mary is the person that actually has really close relationships with comedians. <laughs> you know, the, the, the one that the comedians who can actually, um, I've watched, uh, Ellen, Gen- Ellen DeGeneres on, um, mm-hmm. YouTube the other night and, uh, some old, old, old Seinfeld as well, uh, talking about like the simplest things that we do as humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mary's, uh, if they could hire her, like if I think, what's the guy's Rob Steiner or whatever the guy does all those romantic comedy movies. Hmm. Yeah. If he could sit down with Mary, I'm, 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 I'm sure he's actually probably got her in a cage. <laughs> what's the next script, Mary? I hear this whole snow fate, like new generation things really uh, got people's attention. So let's go there because we're either really about that so or not. Hmm. It's weird. And is Mary a, uh, um, I don't know. I almost see the, 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 the lizard brain is like you said, you know, uh, finger on the button on the adrenaline button. What does Mary do? Well, she makes sure that we're actually aware of the momentum of our social um, 
life, basically. I mean, we're either tending to more connection or tending to less connection in every relationship, in every town, in every workplace. But I mean, as far as our physiological health, is there anything that Mary, you know, like, does she have her own finger on another button? Uh, she's running most of your neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters. Anticipatory stuff with dopamine, satisfaction stuff with serotonin. Yep. So she's... We, we could probably actually sit down with Mary and every neurotransmitter and have a chat. So every time you click on the little blue and white icon that says Facebook on your iPhone? Yeah, Mary, Mary, Mary invented Facebook. <laughs> FYI, you thought it was that funny guy. Zuckerberg? Forget it. <laughs> he, he, I mean, if, I love that movie because it just proved that this guy was so polarized in his social reality that he came up with something so polarized about social reality. Which is now the social reality. Yeah, and time machines are on my menu of the bucket list. Time machine. Thanks to list of people to go back and do a counseling session with. Hitler, Zuckerberg, who else? <laughs> yeah. They should be learning this voice dialogue and stuff. Time machine, voice dialoguing. Perfect. Good. So the... Uh, so yeah. just before we go anywhere else... Can you thank Mary for doing what she has done in your life in a deeply meaningful, personal way? Uh, can I? Or do you want me to? Well, I mean, this is where voice dialoguing as a practice is usually yourself, with yourself, sitting there in a chair going, thank you very much, Mary, uh, for all the, the effort and time you put into maintaining my social uh, connectivity. But what I'm going to try to do is maybe embrace teachings like right relationship, nonviolent communication, and other things to ensure that um, my social life is going to go really well. So let's say that this is a clinical environment, because this is what the point in a clinical conversation I would do what I would always do. So is that okay if I do that with sure. you? Sure. So Anthony, you and I have known each other for quite a while. Would you say that in any way I've ever offended you or hurt you as a person, and especially in this conversation? Uh, today, no. In the past, um, I might have been disappointed by certain things that have happened. Um, you know, small things and just in terms of like, are we going to do this today? No. <laughs> okay. You know, but I've never actually like grabbed you by the heartstrings and made you feel bad about yourself. No. Okay. See how easy that is? So I'm sitting here with my, well, my head cocked like a, like a little dog yeah. for the sake of our listeners. Did you see that? I just went, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Got to get the video going anyway. So the reason I bring that up to a lot of patients when I'm doing this kind of work is if you're allowed to say to anyone in your life, hey, man, are we good? Like, have I ever done anything to, like, hurt your Mary with my Mary? Because Marys take that stuff personally. And if you can say that to anyone in your life and the answer is, well, maybe a little, but not really, but we're good, actually. And I love you because we're allowed to have these kind of conversations done and now mary's out of a job for tell you turn on facebook <laughs> or something in the sense that she's like deeply satisfied oh i'm so at peace i can get grooming from anyone in my tribe i'm, I'm not the alienated monkey who's going to die early because of mange because no one wants to touch me or talk to me because that's mary's job is don't get mange and die hmm you know the, the whole time that we're talking about mary it reminds me of um past relationships um, with significant others. And um, I have this profound, deep admiration for all of the crap that I've ever dealt with, with all the women that I've ever lived with. Um, so I just want to make sure I get this. You're admiring yourself for putting up with them or you're admiring them for putting up with you or a bit of both? Uh, I'm admiring how I managed to come out of that relationship and what I learned, even if that was all kind of like ugly. Mm -hmm. Even if that was kind of like, oh man, I can't believe I used to do that. 
or um, you know to to uh, be able to sit uh, comfortably with my ex in the same room and talk to her about what she's doing in her life right now um, is because I've learned how to do that. Yeah, and that brings up a whole bunch of other animals because Mary's an instinct, but other animals represent a more rational or sentimental relationship with feelings. Hmm. So I'll just, there's there's a lot of different voices. And depending on the therapeutic environment and obviously the person who's requiring some kind of support, uh, the characters or the animals or the voices are going to be dependent by the biggest charges in them. Hmm. So say, for example, I'm, I'm sitting in a room with my ex and it's a little uncomfortable and she's super happy about her polyamorous relationship with the rugby team or something. Sorry, I'm just trying to be playful. <laughs> um, you know, I might take that in a, in a pretty negative way in the sense of Mary, but the thing that's going to get me the most is actually a guy I call Maury the Moose. Okay. I don't know if you've ever met a moose in, in nature. Uh, so FYI, if you're not a bush person, I'm a bush person. The most dangerous animal in the world is the moose. Because if it decides to take you out, it's bigger than a grizzly bear and it's going to knock trees down to get you. They're pretty ornery, yeah. to say the least. Thousands of pounds of ginormous monster truck coming to get you. <laughs> and it's, it's uh, yeah, grudgy. <laughs> anyway... When you're talking about the function of Maury the moose in the sense of voice dialoguing, Maury's job is to carry your heavy, heavy heart across the field of your heavy, heavy heart. Hmm. That's a pretty big job. Yeah. But Maury's a moose. He, he can handle it. It's the field that's not so con- not so sure it can handle Maury because he's thousands of pounds. Here comes Maury. Dun. And we naturally try and dissociate or get drunk or take a pill or something like that because the experience... I'm picturing Maury being the guy that you hire that comes in to do the tiles on your floor (laughs) and being really bad at it. You know, kind of like the wrong person for the job, right? Is that what you're trying to say? You can go anywhere with... Maury's got no social graces. He's got all thumbs. He's just like the worst... Biggest lummoxy kind of thing that would... No, I think I would find another one for that. Because hmm. Maury's job, in the sense of um, state-specific self-awareness, because it's a practice. It's like a Jedi shaman meditation practice when you get into it, where you just decide to no longer follow the crap in your head because you get it. Right. So if Maury's stomping all over your achy, breaky heart, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, or just saying that's where that comes up... All you have to do is say, thanks, man, and Maury, thanks for being the guy who can carry around this, because every time I think about whether or not I can handle it, I just feel like I'm going to be crushed and mm. gutted and, and left worse for wear. So as long as Maury's going to hold those heaviness things, you can just say, okay, got to do lunch with the ex, got to sign the whatever papers. Please do a good job, Maury. Please do a good job. Please do a good job. And then when all that stuff comes up, you just let that sit where that is, and then Maybe in the evening, if you do want to sit down with a glass of whiskey and a particular driving tunes CD you made for her or cassette tape, depending on how old you are, <laughs> and go into that stuff, then Mary and Maury and a whole bunch of other beings within you can have a really good conversation about what that what, what each of those feelings really is and a sense of gratitude for your ability to actually engage in them and hopefully recycle them to the point where your emotional intelligence and wisdom and maturity become a part of your innate confidence. Hmm. Because now you have a way for anything within you to not take you out. 
Well, you said gratitude and confidence there. Yeah. And those two things ring very true to me whenever um, I've had to deal with um, any of my significant others of the past. Um, because that's that's kind of the, the default for me, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, really hard for me to be in a shitty place with any of them mm-hmm. because I'm not. Yeah, and there's no reason to be except for the conditioning we have, which may decide to take us back to grade 10 adolescent conditioning, which is, am I going to ever have enough girlfriends or as many girlfriends as I'm supposed to or allowed to or that guy over there gets to have? Because hmm. as primates, you know, we, we naturally want sexual access because that's just a part of instinctual life. But in the modern world, being more of a shopping mall, I mean, I think of a midlife crisis, you know, it's for both men and women. Sometimes, you know, we go into this period of time where I suddenly feel like it's about a lack of genitalia of the opposite or my preferred sex. I just don't think I've met enough of them. Damn, I better get on that. <laughs> I better buy a Corvette. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah that, that's what I was going to say. And now you need to get the, the weird cologne that you presume is going to help you with that. Corvette de Car Noir and a 20-year-old girlfriend. And or it's Russian bride agencies. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> Which I don't know if you get these in your email, but like, be I'm almost fifty. I mean, if if I'm they, doing research on light and online, and I give anyone my email, it's like a month of. You should come to the Ukraine to one of our great meetings and meet a bunch of girls with their name tags and a number. Which like, isn't to Whoa. say that women in the Ukraine aren't worth it. No, God, no. I'm I'm just saying you know, that's that's one of the things that that part of our instincts is attracted to. Hmm. You know, I could find woman with less trouble you know, or more control. And I'm not saying that's healthy or unhealthy. I'm just saying it's going to be driven by certain instinctual places and high school. Right. So this, this whole idea of uh, getting in touch with oneself and talking with oneself or listening to the voices and that sort of thing. Um, you said at the beginning, this was going to be kind of like a conversation going all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, is so Want to go to a castle? <laughs> well, b- before we go to the castle, <laughs> well, unless unless the castle actually answers this question, okay. is there some um, what do you want to call it? Uh, foundational starting point that actually gives one permission to actually get into this whole dialogue? Yeah, that's why it's, so we start with Larry and Mary because they're completely and profoundly obviously driving most of us around. Okay, uh, I, I guess I'm just sort of looking for more like a. Um, an instruction book that says, oh, voice dialoguing 101, do this first. Um, well, we could go through a bit of a session to, to draw people through. Um, it, there are voice dialoguing, uh, like seminar things that are recorded on YouTube. So if you just typed in YouTube and wanted to kind of be drawn through a voice dialogue, uh, led through a voice dialoguing session, there's things like that on literally on YouTube. Um, if we wanted to, we could sit down with two or three other people and actually go through like the whole castle thing and record it, but it's better to have a few people in the room for those kind of things, because in the voice dialoguing practice, unless you're doing a solo thing or a a deeply clinical one-on-one thing, it's kind of more like a fun group adventure where, you know, we all start talking as if we're Larry, I'm Larry the lizard. And now I got language. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) And and people would be able to say what it's like to be Larry and them or Mary and them. Obviously, there's different animals and or are the the characters that we would uh, associate with that medieval castle. Hmm. And the, again, the trick is is you actually have to say, let's do the castle bit, wanna? Sure. 
Okay, so the first person you're going to meet on the uh, with respect to a medieval castle is the sentry. Okay. He's the guy who's standing up on the top of the parapet and he's looking out, you know, into the fields and, you know, villages and stuff like that for danger and or milkmaids. <laughs> I'm picturing John Cleese in a really bad French accent. <laughs> and now it's going to go to bad Monty Python French jokes, but I'm down. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so who am I talking to? You're talking to this French guy on the top of the parapet. Well, what's your job? Uh, I forget. What is my job? As the sentry, your job is to be profoundly vigilant and observant to threat and opportunity. I'm making sure that there's no cows flying through the air. (laughs) (laughs) So if you are not a fan of Monty Python, you may need to go and watch the Monty Python movies to get the next 10 minutes of the podcast. (laughs) Pause now. (laughs) Link in the show notes. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, so uh, it's all about the flying cows and or maybe uh, that gypsy caravan that might, you know, get you rich or that girl with the shimmery clothes who does that fun dance by the fire or whatever you see at a distance is what you're going to focus on as either opportunity or threat. Hmm. So, uh, you know, got that job, you spend all day looking for opportunities and threats. Uh, How important are you for the castle? Well... Uh, I would think that I'm not going to do the French accent anymore. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that this is the most important job. It's it's probably the most important job. I, I would say, from the point of view of the person, you know, with the biggest seeming perspective and or paranoia, of course you're the most important guy. Without you, we're all basically cow food or bait or you know targets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the gypsies might just sneak in and take over the whole thing. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the um, um, the thing that uh, at a moment's notice lets me know that uh, as I'm crossing the street, that person that's walking towards me is safe. Friend or foe? Uh, the um, person that's turning left in front of me, the guy in the grocery line that's helping me, um, that girl in those terry cloth shorts that remind you of the '80s in a way that's really exciting. Sorry, I'm just going to go there for a moment, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll pause for. <laughs> Um, and I just had to bring that because it has to be balanced between danger and opportunity. Right. Right. Because right. it, it's all about the, diff, the dis, I guess his, his job is so much about, or her job is so much about distance. Well, you know, as you say that, I can just imagine, um, and I, whatever her name was in high school, I'm not going to say it. I can, I can just imagine her walking down the hall in those little shorts and just thinking to myself, oh my God, she's either going to talk to me and I'm going to turn into a puddle or she's not going to talk to me and I'm going to die. See, now Mary's taken over. You've got Maury hooked up into the show. He's ready to go into the locker room by himself and deal with that particular bit of, yeah. you know. But it, it, was, it was the initial sentry that actually was just like, the one that noticed her walking down the hall, right? Yeah. And sounded the alarm. Yeah. So every, everything is going on at the same time. But mm-hmm. if you can't recognize that the part of you that is the mildly paranoid, mildly... Uh, selfish kind of uh, perspective on, you know, opportunities and dangers, and you think that's you, your life is going to be the life of a mildly anxious uh, uh, person with a lot of desire, but without a lot of really deep heartfelt connection, because you're just like, I want it, I don't want it, I want it, I don't want it. Uh." Mm -hmm. So being the most important part of the castle, do you feel like the rest of the castle really gives you the respect you deserve? 
Um, no, no, because when you see the, you know, there's the feast and the, you know, the, those gravy bowls that you get to eat the meat out of and throw the bones behind you. And, you know, you walk into the pub and everyone turns in the way because, oh, damn it, there goes that guy. He's always talking about himself and what he wants and what he's afraid of. He's like, blah, 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 Jesus. I, I picture the sentry as being the one that says, hey, would you look at, and before they even uh, before they even finish the sentence, somebody shoves them to the side <laughs> and pushes forward, forward right? Uh, look, it depends on you. It depends on your conditioning. It depends on how well the sentry has worked. Hmm. So you give the sentry a name, Whoever you want, the French terrifying Monty Python extra who has never shut up. <laughs> that was actually good. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you just have to say, thanks, man. Like, you are so on it, and you have to be, and I wish we could pay you more, but we can't. And I know we kind of make fun of you in the locker room or whatever, but, you know, we get your jobs really important. But uh, do you mind if I borrow that telescope and that other thing and your internet connection to, you know, all those paranoid conspiracy theory channels? Because we're going to try and look at things a little more, hopefully, for a while, if, we, if you're down with that. Mm. And usually when you say, come on, perspective, let's get some perspective on perspective, you get your perspective back. <laughs> I know that was kind of a weird thing to do, but I, I liked it. It worked for me. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> that's the, 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 the most salient point you've had in this podcast so far right there okay, okay now my mary's feeling a little bit bad about her typing but okay so the sentry is kind of like you know you're doing a good job uh hang tough here uh you're still needed uh who am i going to bump into next uh next if we're going to do it in order would be the big burly guy that's got the really scary looking six foot axe next to the other big burly guy with the other six foot axe that's standing in front of the gate when the drawbridge is down and uh, like the bouncer to a bar you get to say yeah uh, uh come on in or uh take off your shoes <laughs> why are we going to new york with these people <laughs> anyway so he's basically the the gate guard and he's the person who lets another person's uh, affect or information or personality past the part of you that's the, the, the boundary guy. Because, I mean, if you bump into somebody and you are not willing to interact with them in any way, it's boundary guy. They're just talking to him. Hmm. And, you know, some salesman knocks on your door if you're not a big fan of the Jehovah's Witness people. Oh, I pronounced that weirdly. Correctly? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and... um Incorrectly? It's a joke. <laughs> it's an honor of an old Kung Fu master, so that's the only reason I say it. Um, anyway, so if you're standing there having a conversation with someone you have no interest in interacting with, they're going to run into Boundary Guy, Gatekeeper. Mm. You know, big scary axe, you know, saying, you are not, you're not coming in here, man. You're like, go away. Yeah. Right? It's Credit interesting. Credit card people call you. Hey, uh, you missed your payment. I was uh, just going to say that. Tell, tell, <laughs> when, when the phone rings, anybody with an iPhone... And you don't recognize the number? The person who's looking at that phone number is those two guys at the gate. Gatekeeper, he's like, you know, hey. hey who is that? Who's so, that calling me? Yeah, but all day, every day, you're on 24-7. Like, you know, your wife comes home and she's in a bad mood. Is it you or gate guy? Hmm. And I mean, it could be anybody, your parents, a jerk, your, your, your parent and your kids, a jerk. Like as soon as things get to a certain level, it's, you know, the axes cross in front of the gate and you're like, okay, so it's going to go like this, right? Well, and it doesn't always have to be when you encounter people. Could be anything. Could Get be, um, I've seen it happen with uh, my girlfriend with dogs. Yep. Right? The fence just goes right up and that dog's on the other side of it. And she's, no way she's letting that dog in. <clears throat> yeah. So if we were to go into the practice, so who am I talking to? The gatekeeper? The gatekeeper. 
Can you do like a draconian like accent just for fun? Because it's a castle. I'm not sure. Anyway, so here we got this guy at the gate. What's your job? Um, to let people in or, or not. Or not. And that could be resources. It could be food. It could be alcohol. It could be a pharmaceutical. Whether or not you're still down with bringing that experience into your experience or not. So mm-hmm. with respect to the sanctity and, and the hygiene of the castle, how important are you? Um, I mean, it's past century, dude. I mean, his job's over. Yeah. Uh, I would say that it's extremely important because once you, once you get past me. Yeah, ninjas get in there. From, uh, I mean, that's right. That's when it gets bad. <laughs> I'm going to get fired. <laughs> if you still have a job. <laughs> yeah. If I, well, and if, if, um, if what I'm protecting so I'm on the I'm on I'm at the gate mm-hmm. and I let somebody in. Um, not only am I protecting what's beyond the gate, but I'm protecting myself, right? Mm-hmm. I got to make sure that I still have a job and that I still live. So it's almost this this kind of. I mean, it's it's basically you're secretly running like the first half of what happens in that castle, and or you know it's really just up to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, but at the same time, being on the front line of all this stuff. You feel respected by the rest of the castle for what you do for the castle? Um, I mean, yeah, that you intimidate everybody for sure, but, you know, respected. Respected? Um, I don't know. Um, I think so. So here's a weird one. So sometimes people in the castle who are supposed to be in the castle because they're like royals or special. Sorry. <laughs> they want to get out and your job is to keep them in. Hmm. Right. Well, that's uh, a job of somebody to say, uh, no, you better not do that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, what, what, what if, what put if that back on the shelf? Subtle, fluffier angels are actually the thing that's going to get you where you actually need to be as a human being in the next year. Hmm. Right. So we have to respect gatekeeper, really, really important, really, really scary, really, really dumb. Sorry. In the sense of the bigger agenda of sentience and life. And here's a question for gate guy. You get paid enough? Paid enough. Yeah. I mean, the bad guys show up. You're a splatter, splatter, you know, Rorschach blot on the gate. So, like, because if the crap hits the fan, we lock the door, remember? Right. What side of the door are you on when we lock the door? (laughs) The outside. Cannon fodder. Yeah, so. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So, if we can realize that to some degree... And I can think of people in my life that are like 90% gate guy. You just walk up to them and you just know, okay, I'm dealing with your ego defense, you know, robot. I'm not defen- we could do it as a spaceship, honestly. You're like, oh, turrets to maximum. Because that, that's how these people, you know, they identify everything as a potential physical, emotional, psychic stress and or threat. I would say that that's how some people are defined as being cold versus warm, right? Yeah. A cold person would be... Because you can't let the finer parts of you out. You're just, yeah, that guy. Hmm. And getting back to what you said earlier, that uh, um, the gatekeeper guy may have uh, learned his job or had his programming installed by mom, dad, yeah, uh, some other influential person <coughs> in their life. Yep. In their life, yeah. So, I mean, there's over a dozen unique individuals. So instead of going into each one, I think I'll just do a little quick drive-by of a few. Sure. Um, Means we get to do less accents, though. uh, Well, we're going to be past an hour and like 10 minutes, and I'm trying to keep our podcast around an hour. But this one could go on for like a day. 
Because I mean, because they got to stop, they got to watch. <laughs> I guess I'm Monty asking Python. you: do, do, do you feel how potentially incredibly beneficial this would be for people who are having a hard time inside their head to just rearrange the pieces, honor their nature, and find solace and peace within the space of their heart and mind? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know, I know for myself, it's you know, as much as we've been sort of sitting here making fun and being kind of cavalier around it. Um, I think for me, it's because I don't, uh, not that I'm not connected to it. I, I don't feel um, like I'm driven by the voices in my head. Well, I was going to say this, and this is, there's only one way to say it is, I mean, because I deal primarily with people that are dealing with chronic complex illness, which usually involves a lot of stress and or is due in part to a lot of stress, which does create a pretty scary castle for people, no matter whose fault it is. Having said that, it turns out, Anthony, you're actually one of the more autonomous, uh, self-aware, mature people I know. So mm. unfortunately for you, you're you're going to be looking at this as like, might be good for the nervous hospital people, but eh, I'm going to be okay. Because hmm. you only need these kind of tools if you need them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I've never um, uh, not needed them. Uh just today, right now, in this moment, I don't. Yeah, right. but I guess I'm just asking you to kind of affirm, yeah, if I was having a really hard year and I had a good toolbox and a chance to have these kind of conversations with myself, the momentum of patterns would be halted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, a few not- that are fun ones real quick. Are we still in the castle? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. indeed. like I said, there's a almost like a day-long thing that I do with people where we go through the entire thing. And I'm not saying this to sound all spiritual badass but um after the 90 minutes to two hours it takes to walk a room of people through this whole process most people are in a state of samadhi because we end the thing by escaping the castle becoming a spiritual seeker of the truth and go through all these voice dialoguing adventures as a spiritual being who has given up everything including being the king or queen of that castle and then you become the sage guiding the seeker around and then you die and go back to what we all came from and when you're in that space after letting go of every other layer of your self-protective isolationist ego boom you're back to being basically one of the collective unconscious of all this as an experience directly in that day but you have to unravel it layer by layer i'm not trying to like woohoo people but that's the experience people have is a profound howling silence of Tao, the buddha's roar of profound self-realization of wow if you stop actually running with conditioning you're you but you're not even really you anymore you're just consciousness because consciousness doesn't need a resume Hmm. so that's why we do it so here's a few other little crazy critters in the castle that are usually running the show okay so let's say you're into the ufc or you've heard of the UFC and you understand what cage fighting looks like. <laughs> okay. So one of the really more challenging uh, characters in voice dialoguing, especially for younger men, is what we call the young warrior. Because he's training all day every day to keep his six-pack abs and his impressive chest and shoulders all perky and sweaty and tanned, as well as maybe scarred up a little bit to prove he's a pretty tough guy. And his whole relationship with his follow the flag, kill for honor, die with you know, the king's name on your lips. Hmm. That sounds pretty um, important. Yeah. And of (laughs) course, he's going to be the new, you know, quarterback of the football team of medieval castle warfare. So the young warrior is driven by pride and arrogance and entitlement and competition. And most people who live that way are actually insecure as F-bomb. Hmm. 
<clears throat> kind of thing. So, uh, drives a lot of people, gets a lot of stuff, sells a lot of clothing, <laughs> hairspray and stuff. But obviously immature, obviously dangerous, obviously completely paranoid of failure and death and looking bad to his teammates because, I mean, it's life or death with metal objects. You don't even have the, you know, mildly convenient thing of a sniper rifle. you got to stand there toe-to-toe and hack it out. Hmm. That's not your average psychological environment. No, and that's not your average person. No. You have to be a certain kind of person, like, you know, in the positive sense of, say, training to be in the Navy SEALs or, you know, other, you know, I guess, you know, high echelon um, adventure <laughs> opportunities. Uh, you can't get there unless you're you're a super high trained, motivated, individuated person. But you might also not be aware of the rest of you. Mm-hmm. And I used to train the, the military, so I mean, you can, I'd say seven, eight out of ten people are just ex, you know, slightly unsatisfied athletes who are still tough and fit and scary enough to move into that echelon of, of human capacity, but have the maturity of, of someone in grade, grade 10 in the sense of how they see themselves in the world, how they see the world, what they think of as important, kill the hajis because they're bad because I read a booklet. Hmm. Or somebody told me, or yeah, that's what my dad said. So Arnold Schwarzenegger can shoot those guys. I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not putting down people who go into service to uh, protect any nation or flag or religion. I'm just saying, if we all step back as a collective, relatively conscious group of elders someday, hope, 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 we are going to notice that we're maximizing a certain polarized action movie mentality as a culture to produce as many young warriors as we can. And look at the UFC. I mean, I've been doing martial arts 40 years. I've worked with everybody in the sense of super traditional, super whatever. Not doesn't I don't care who's better at kicking butt. It's not about that. But when you talk to people who train traditionally in some ways or train really seriously, like military training in some ways, these people are the most respectful, patient, kind, you know, because mm. it's a part of the training. When you just train to have tattoos and loud t-shirts and big muscles and a lot of attitude that's what you're going to come across like. Hmm. So now we decide to go, yeah, well, well you know, it's, there's positives and negatives to everything. I'm not trying to pick on people. Uh, but then you look at the old warrior and he's gnarled up, covered in scars, looks a little bit worse for wear because he probably spent a couple of decades drinking the mead more than anything else to deal with the PTSD stuff. And he's leaned up against a fence with somebody else who's been through the real stuff. And you, you, when you think about the ethos, the mindset of that human being, they never want to hurt anybody again. They're going to do their job because their job is to train the young warrior to be the best tool in the shed of that particular tool. But the old warrior knows better. No one wins a fight. Hmm. Killing a bunch of strange people over the color of your tunic? Like, oh boy, well, that makes sense. Hmm. Right, you kill enough people, you see enough of your closest friends die. You're you're not going to be the impatient, arrogant guy. You're going to be like, if you guys could feel the consequences coming, you would not be so jumping up and down about going to war. Hmm. Right, and you know, I have experience working with vets with PTSD coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq. Right now, I'm working with all kinds of really interesting uh, entheogenic substances to help them live back in the world, coming to sweat lodges and all these other fun things that we do. I mean, those people are not thinking about joining a UFC class. Those people are going to probably join a Tai Chi class because they're looking for peace. Right. Uh, 
maybe two more real quick. So uh, the next one would be the person I would call the wicked witch or the angry priest. The person in the castle who's running whatever kind of, you know, pagan or monolithic, you know, spiritual shenanigans to keep everybody afraid, ashamed, and drinking the Kool-Aid. So take a moment if you're listening to this and for you and I in the room, you know, it's the voice in your head of shame. Hmm. Imagine having a really meaningful conversation with why the voice in your head of shame has the kind of voice that it has. Is it the wicked witch who thinks you're not superstitious enough? New agey people can get caught up there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, if you're down with, you know, modern Western religions, yeah, well, you know, going to hell, buddy, if you don't. But imagine being able to say, you know, angry priest, I, I've kind of decided to move into a slightly different, maybe kind of made up way of relating to the world around spiritual consequences. And thanks for getting me this far, but I'm going to go and... I don't know, try this meditation thing or the devil's lettuce I hear can help me with my depression. But <laughs> I'm not too sure, you know, mountains of shame on every thought I've had around, you know, imagine being a person who's been heterosexual most of your life and you realize that you're, you know, 57 years old and you are a little bit distracted in your marriage because you keep thinking about what sex would be like with someone of your own sex. Hmm. I mean, a, a lot of people who are bisexual, homosexual don't realize that until near the end of a marriage. Kids are out of the house, social conditioning, conditioning shifts a little bit around what's important, and then you're like, oh, but what if the angry priest in your head is a particularly shaming person around the idea of boys and boys or girls and girls? Right. And, you know, it's got you this far, but maybe... It reminds me of the, um, the TV show uh, Transparent, uh, exactly that story, hmm. where uh, dad lived for a number of years and um once the kids were i guess in their 20s they really you know late 20s 30s decided to um not necessarily come out mm -hmm. but uh announced that instead of uh, uh what was his name uh they started calling him mappa instead of papa <laughs> right that's convenient <laughs> yeah uh interesting show sounds like a really great story mm -hmm. So we all, as Western uh, consumers of Western culture, without any hope or chance, unless you're deaf, dumb, and, you know, whatever, um, blind, I guess, then you have had some inculcation towards a shaming drive around whether or not you are a good or bad person because of how you think about the world, how many fights you've been in, how many people you've had sex with, whether or not you think good or bad thoughts about people and obviously from a clinician's point of view that's got nothing to do with my job in the sense of religion and moral kind of ethos but as a clinician if you're beating the crap out of yourself every day because of a book or you're going to blow yourself up and everybody else because of a book I'm not sure the angry priest is really the best person to rely on with respect to the long-term health of your castle or every castle that ever meets you mm -hmm. hmm. you know but yeah. if we can, thanks, good job, got me this far. I think we're going to try a little bit of one of those hippie religions for a month, see how that goes, or something. At least now you're freeing up on a mental level that direct, deep hooks in your back association. Makes me think of something that I read the, uh, the other day, that um, uh, learn, to, um, learn to listen to people you disagree with. Uh, mm -hmm. and learn to, um, um, is that how it was actually written? Something to the effect of, um, in order to be a better person, 
uh, one needs to um, learn to uh, learn to argue or debate rather, not argue, yeah. uh, and also to um, learn to um, uh, appreciate or just listen to people who uh, don't share the same perspective. And that's the essence of voice dialoguing is, okay, well, we're going to sit down here and do this, and you consistently show up in my head as this voice with this agenda and these limits. Okay. Just like meeting a person on a bus. Oh, Hmm. so this is who you are and, you know, where you're coming from, and that's your autonomy. So for me to negate it or judge it or try and fix it makes me the problem, not you. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with voice dialoguing. If you think any voice in your head is completely sane and knows exactly what's going on and should be in control, that does not sound like a very sane voice to me. Sounds like a, um, I was just trying to figure out which person it was, the gatekeeper, the guy at the... Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's one person, but it's the ethos of the patriarchal masculine from 1950, which is, all right, everyone, shut up, listen to me, I'm the head of the household. There's a little booklet that says this is how this, this military organization works, I'm in charge, shut up, do your chores, and uh, honey, I'll be having roast beef on Sundays and that other thing every Tuesday morning. Hmm. Hmm. Because it's up to me, because I'm in charge, and that's an illness. Right. Right. So then there's the imprisoned king or queen who thinks they have all the power because they got the fun wand and the big funny, you know, heavy hat. But the entire castle is built around them to keep them in. To keep them small? Keep them in. Hmm. As long as you're in here and you're totally convinced that keeping this show running exactly the way it was given to you and it's going to be given on to your offspring or whoever decides to poison you in the middle of the night, as long as it's going to keep the way it's going to keep, you're going to be okay. But the really tricky part, and as I alluded to a bit earlier in the voice dialoguing practice, you have to sit down and recognize you're a prisoner in your own mind. Hmm. Because you still believe gatekeeper guy has enough of an IQ to run the life you're living. And or sentry guy who's got a pretty limited range of what's satisfaction and, and, you know, doing well looks like. Or if you're running with the angry priest, you know, uh, it's going around. Um, you know, that, that's, that's you. But if you realize with your depth of autonomy that... And this is just maturity. This is just how growing up works. Voice dialogue or not, human beings are like eggs. They have to break and break open until we can actually come out of our shells. And that shell may or may not be made up by you or your parents or, uh, you know, an imbalance of neurotransmitters. It's interesting to see how, um, I mean, we're talking about personalities and um, how people comport themselves in the world. Um and I mean, I've said this on podcasts before where uh, I've seen people, little kids, you know, having a temper tantrum or something like that, uh, or somebody um, just having a really bad day, just being a total jerk to a whole bunch of other people. And I always go to the place of like, what the hell do they eat? Mm-hmm. You know, because I know the direct connection for me with how certain foods affect my personality. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a big one. Yeah. So before we jump off of this, I just want to bring up something that's going to seem completely out of left field. Sure. But it hopefully we'll give people, one, some really cool stuff to talk about at parties. But <laughs> another way to look at this whole idea of voices in our head, because it's not meant to be a literal thing like, oh my God, there's 10 people in my head. Uh, well, anyway. So funny thing about uh, native culture, especially way, way up north in this part of the world, 
Uh, that'd be Inuit people, people we call Eskimo and stuff. Um, when you're born, everyone that meets you, which is going to probably be up until recently, maybe 30 to 40 people in your entire life. If you think about people who live in igloos and boot around in kayaks, you know, it's not like the summer gathering. Oh, right. No summer. Never mind. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you don't, you're not going to meet a lot of people, right? So the culture kind of frames things differently. So when you're a little tiny kid and you're just starting to learn language, Every person that meets you talks to you as if you're the person they think you're going to turn out to be. Because there's only so many people in the world that ever come into being. So your grandma is going to talk to you as maybe you're her dead husband. I'm trying to come up with a funny native name that isn't really, really, really in bad taste because I'm such a bad stand-up comic when it comes to native <laughs> stuff. Because I, I have to make it funny. Um, but think of this grandma talking to this four-year-old kid, you know, oh, I'll say Jason just because I'm trying to pick a neutral word. (laughs) Oh, Jason, I'm so glad you're back. I can't wait till you're older because we're going to have so much fun. You know, we were great lovers and blah, blah, blah. 45 minutes later, you know, your niece walks in and she's 10. You're four years old. She wants you to be your cousin who's hasn't been around for five years for whatever reason and calls you, you know, Sally. You know, I can't wait for you to grow up, Sally. We're going to have so much fun when we go out fishing and hunting and gathering eggs in the spring and blah, blah, blah. And you wake, you grow up as a child with 12 different names and 12 different people talking to you as if you're 12 different people. And they're just waiting to see which one you pick because there's only so many people in the world. In the, it's in the bits of the world. I mean, there's never been more than 36 people as far as we can remember. So <laughs> you're going to be one of them. This is a thing. It's a, this is, it's a, well, probably up until, up until the fifties, that was still a thing, uh, because the culture hadn't been run over by, <laughs> sorry, but snowmobiles yet, you know, huh. but it's just to frame it, like, what would it be like for you to live in a world where you kind of just ra- kind of randomly passively fell into the personality that felt right of all the personalities that possibly can be. Hmm. Well, I mean, that, that example is just um, really illuminates how um, everything we talk about um, makes sense. Yeah. To be um, this uh, blank floppy disk and then have a whole bunch of programs written on top of you or installed or whatever the heck it is. Um, and then you just end up running one of those programs for the rest of your life. Yeah, so we might as well do it with a sense of humor and autonomy instead of telling everyone who you're supposed to be. Give them as many options as you know there are in the universe because that seems nice (laughs) and give them the freedom and opportunity to find out which one of those they choose for themselves. Hmm. Obviously, it's on a pretty tight Petri dish as cultures go. But So here's the last thing I want to share about voice dialoguing. And if you've made it this far through the podcast, woohoo, way to go, high five. (laughs) Um, so let's say you're in a really interesting dynamic relationship and you've both heard this podcast or you've heard it and you've gone on to share a podcasting uh, uh, session, uh, pardon me, a voice dialoguing session with your partner, uh, you know, off the internet or whatever. And you're both getting into it and you're really liking the nicknames and you're in traffic impatient to get to your next hopefully good food restaurant (laughs) and you're starting to be a little bit grumpy with each other and one of you decides to bust out a hey mary uh how you feeling about that pimple on your face because you seem to be a little bit edgy today (laughs) and then the person hopefully is going to stop and go right i'm feeling really socially awkward because i have a pimple on my face and i'm taking this very personally right now and i didn't mean to sorry thank you very much for reminding me who was talking to you 
Hmm. Imagine families growing up like that. Um, yeah, actually, I know a few people who actually are like that. I don't know if they grew up that way, but that's kind of how they are today. And I would, I would throw it out there that um, I've met a lot of people here in the Kootenays or even in Nelson yeah. that are that way. Well, Nelson's like one of the little Bhutan bubbles of the world where we actually have a happiness index, even if it's not a part of our you know, collective government culture. One, one of the first experiences I had here that really stuck out <laughs> in my mind was uh, crossing the street uh, downtown here in Nelson, population 10,000-ish. Um, there was a young woman. She had to be like, I don't know, 17 or something like that. And there's this old fella, um, I don't know, 60, 70 or whatever it was, was crossing the road, cut in front of her. Uh, like they were just walking across the street or something like that. Um, and um, I didn't see the whole thing. But I, what I heard was, as I was crossing the street going the other way towards them, um, she was she was talking about, hey, you know what, when you did that, I really felt this and I really felt that. And, you know, like, I don't know you from Adam and I don't want to be mad at you, but, you know, this is what's coming up for me. And I just got to tell you that, da, 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 da. and he was just like going right back at her like, well, yeah, well, you know, um, I saw you and I see how young you are. And I just had all this judgment about you and blah, 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 blah. And on it went. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Kootenays folks. Cause this place is crazy cool when it comes to he in the middle up. in the middle of an intersection. I know, I know. You know, sunny day, crossing the street, and just like minding my own business, thinking, oh, I wonder if the bank's still open. And then I see this. Yeah. And it was an amazing opportunity to really see how um how connected people can be. Right relationship works. Yeah. Yeah. Right relationship is a very uh, big word in my life. Yeah, and that's kind of what this podcast is about, but it starts with yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you can't be in right relationship with the biggest driving asshole voices in your head everyone else is just dealing with those voices in your head coming out of your mouth Mm -hmm. yeah and don't feel bad about that recognize that you know again if you've made it this far in the podcast it's because you're having this little smile inside of your face going i think this might actually give me the freedom i've always wanted from myself Hmm. yeah wow because it's conditioning or freedom is there anything more that you want to say about this? Not much. No. Besides, please share and subscribe and rate and review this awesome podcast because uh, we've now officially decided to actually really run with this thing. So um, it's going to keep getting better and awesome and with video and show notes and all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, let's let's all be a great fun tribe of self-talking monkeys and make this thing really go somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm not sure how I can make this work, but I'd like to try if we can figure it out. I would absolutely love to give anyone who does this, what is it? Share, subscribe, like, write, review the whole, something like that. If you can do that and, and find us on Facebook and say, I did that rate and review thing, I will send you, if I have your email, I will send you a link or a copy of my book, uh, Returning to an Ancestral Diet, 600 pages ebook of yummy, yummy recipes. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's a reason to share the information. Yeah. Uh, you are our marketing budget, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> share this with your friends. That's, yeah. That's the way this uh, podcast gets spread around. It's actually, um, I'm shocked. Uh, well, so del- delighted, I'll say it that way, that we actually get as many listens as we do. I know. I, I was checking out the analytics or whatever it was because I was... All those numbers? Long, long story. There's 500 people a day who check this out. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, just know that you're not the only people out there actually Googling Monty Python <laughs> flying <right>. cow. <laughs> it's worth it, believe me. <laughs> 
fart in your general no, direction. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, this has been Fusion Health Radio, episode 36. About those voices in your head. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta thank them. Yeah. Thank them. Put, put them back in the shelf after they're done. Uh, and uh, I'm going to thank you, listener, for tuning in. Again, I'm Anthony Santa. Dr. Michael Smith, thank you again for being a part of our family. And uh, we'll see you soon. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.